Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. My wife, Jessica, and I are happy to be back in town. We got to go away for a nine-day trip uh, without our children celebrating our 15-year anniversary. And we got to spend time in Virginia Beach, which is my hometown, and Williamsburg, which I have a lot of memories there. Thank you to Pastor Rob Rates for sharing a wonderful message last week, and our team for holding down the fort so well. So grateful for a church that allows us to go on trips like this. Um, I did go to Bush Gardens, me and my wife did. Anybody familiar with Bush Gardens, the amusement park? It's one of the ones I grew up with and I love that place. And it was uh, not crowded at all. It was Wednesday. There were, uh, the kids are not out of school yet, so the lines were super short. So my wife and I rode 17 roller coasters in a row. It was crazy. I mean, like, we, they had a new one called Pantheon multiple times. Bam, bam, bam. Alpengeist, bam, bam, bam. Apollo's Chariot. I mean, it was crazy. You don't get that opportunity many times in life. And we were trying to cling to our youth. I was wondering how my stomach and my brain were going to take it. You know what I mean? I, I ended up, something happening, happened that I wasn't expecting, which was on the Alpengeist. Anybody remember the Alpengeist? One, thank you. Um, it's one of those ones where your feet dangle. And, you know, I used to ride that as a, as a 15-year-old, and that's one thing. But now, middle age, it felt like the G-forces were just intense. I felt like I was in a jet, and I felt my feet stretching, and my left foot got stretched out, and I pulled the muscle in the top of my left foot. And ever since then, I've been walking around like this. So if you catch me with a limp, it's no big deal. It's just, it's how we have to do amusement parks now. Is that part of turning 40 and going above? You get hurt on roller coasters? Can anybody help me there? So I was humbled, but we had a lot of fun. Um, I'm very excited to have a friend of mine here this Sunday. We'll, we'll get back into our teaching series through the Gospel of John next Sunday, but you're in for a treat because uh, my friend David Dukason and some of his family are here today. David and I have known each other for about a decade. Um, we were church planners around the same time. He in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were out in Los Angeles, and we met through events where we got to coach uh, Uh, new church planners, and he just became a friend, and God gave him a a message burning in his heart called Neighborliness, and he wrote a book about it, and God's really been blessing this book. It's about loving like Jesus, cross-dividing lines, and transforming your community. They're in the foyer. I encourage any of you guys to check that out. And he's, he's transitioned out of his church and turned it over uh, to his successor and has been traveling, sharing this message. And God's been opening doors all over the country. I believe uh, with all my heart, it's a prophetic message uh, to the church, especially in this cultural moment we're in. And it's very close to the heart of God. And I just want to preface this message that he's going to share by saying it's so important that we as followers of Christ don't let the narrative of what's happening in the world around us just be set by the culture. Are you tracking with me? We have to let the narrative and how we approach the issues of God's heart be set by scripture, right? We have a culture right now that is so strong, yelling, yelling at us all the time from many different directions. And if we're not careful, we can be more discipled by that culture than we are by scripture, And so we just, as a church family, want to continue to have our hearts set towards the Lord and disciple by what God is telling us through his word. And this message, I believe with all my heart, is part of that. And I love learning from people that practice what they preach and challenge me. Anybody with me there? And we want to have that culture as a church. Challenge me with God's word and people that practice what they preach. And uh, that's what uh, Pastor David is going to do this morning. So let's give him a giant hand as he comes up to share with us.
he just whispered to me, good luck. Yeah. What? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I felt like the first service went all right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. I love uh, your pastor. I've so enjoyed uh, the first service. I've, I've had a lot of love and affinity for your pastor and his family for a long time. Uh, we connected uh, because I just kept on hearing Nathan coach people into their church plants being deeply rooted in the gospel. Like, not just, not just cool church, you know, not just like, you know, flashy stuff, but like the gospel. And the gospel is what changed my life. And, I, and there may be some folks in the room today that, that maybe you're exploring matters of faith. Um, I have to tell you, um, this message changed my life, right? I mean, this, this changed me from the inside out. And so I love uh, you, and I love your family, and I love you guys, even though I don't know you. So um, I'm theologically compelled to love you. Um, <laughs> My family is here uh, this morning. Uh, at least half of our children are my wife, Dara, my 15-year-old Jack in the white shirt, Ben uh, in the yellow shirt here, uh, 15 and 13. We've got an 18-year-old uh, uh, named Max that just graduated from high school, so I'm trying to emotionally deal with that because he's going to Florida for college uh, down at Southeastern University, which is my alma mater. And, um, and then my baby girl, we've got one girl at 17. And so, um, so we bring greetings from them, and then you can say hi to yourself to uh, Dara and Jack and Ben today. Um, but man, what a joy to be here this morning, and, and I echo the sentiments of Happy Father's Day. Um, we, uh, as a family, uh, we share some of the, the hard parts of that and the beautiful parts of that, uh, unexpectedly losing um, Dara's dad, who was a hero to all of us uh, just uh, a year ago, and so we are dealing with our first Father's Day of just trying to figure out the, the joy and the pain that you mentioned, so thank you for Acknowledging that, and for anybody in the room that might be experiencing that as well, uh, just know that you're not alone in that. So, um, so that's that. Um, this, morning, <laughs> this morning, I have to tell you guys, uh, I got a text message right before the first service started, and it was from uh, Chris, uh, him and his best friend, uh, Dougie, are um, two guys that we've kind of taken into our family and just taken them under our wing. They're 20 somethings and you know, late 20s. And, uh, you know, just have a really cool discipleship relationship with them. And uh, it's just so important that if the Lord's taught anything to you, you pass it on, right? And so these guys are just really dear to our heart. So he sent me this really nice text message to our entire family group chat. So there's like eight, uh, the six of us and the two of them, we have a group chat. And he said, you know, just some really nice stuff. You know, thanks for being, um, you know, such an influence in my life. And, um, and he said, and thank you uh, for the example that you've set as a father to your children and the way that you've fathered many children around the country. And I was looking at it. <laughs> and I had, to, I had to reply very quickly. And I said, children, uh, he's referring to spiritual fathering. You do not have siblings all over the, <laughs> all over the country. <laughs> like, like, this is a spiritual statement of, you know, and so the kids, you know, hopefully, guys, we're good. There's no, no secrets in that closet. So, um, so anyway, I also want to acknowledge before we jump into the message that we're gathering on a day today um, that many that look like me um, never grew up even knowing about, but has been going on for a long time. It's a, it's a celebration in the African-American community called Juneteenth, which is now why many of us um, have tomorrow off from work. Um, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln uh, declared that all slaves would be free. Uh, it took until 1865, on June 19th, 1865, for word to get all the way to Texas that slaves were free. And I think about that like from a spiritual perspective. How many of us live our lives in a way that we've been set free by Jesus, yet, man, we can keep those shackles on. And I just, I think it's a beautiful day to celebrate. And even if it's not from your culture, 
I want us to say, you know what? I celebrate alongside a culture that's not my own, you know? And I say, yes, thank God that we are all free. Can we do that together? Just thank God that we're all free, right? And so praise God for that. And so we come alongside of our African-American brothers and sisters today on Juneteenth. So if we could do something real quick, um, it's kind of like calisthenics in church. If we could just stand right back up again. Um, and, and, but this time, maybe let's put our hands like this, hands open, palms to the sky. I do this everywhere I go. I have the privilege of sharing this message all over the country, different parts of the world, and God's really blessed this. And everywhere that I go, I, I do this. And then I pray. We say, Lord, this morning we come to you, and we know that we've come in with different things that we need to give over to you. So we open up our hands, and we give you anxiety. We give you fear. We give you shame or disappointment. Some may have come into this place. You're just exploring matters of faith, and we know that the next step may be to give you our heart. And so, Lord, have my heart. Um, I also leave my hands open that as I make room from things that are not from you to receive that which is from you. And so why don't we all just pray that? Lord, would you just give to me that which is from you? Like whatever you have for me of healing or restoration, a change of perspective or moving maybe one degree closer to true north, which is Jesus. So Lord, open up our hearts. I'm going to say a lot of things today. I'm an imperfect messenger, but we have a perfect God that knows how to speak to each one of his kids. And so, Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide and help us to receive from you that which is from you as we give to you that which is not from you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen, which means let it be. All right, so I, um, uh, I did not tell Pastor Nathan this, but um, if you want to hear the message I preached uh, first service, you can go back and, and listen to that one because I changed a bunch of what I'm going to share with you guys for second service because when I get into a place... Um, you start to feel the vibe and feel what's happening in the spirit. So you guys are getting a very, very different message than I preached first service. And Pastor Nathan's like, ah, it already went good once. Um, and so, um, so I just want you to know just uh, straight away that I just really feel like the Lord, even in between services, really put some stuff in my heart. That um, So basically, I'm going to be freestyling the entire time. So um, um, I had the privilege of meeting a guy named Bob Goff. Uh, anybody uh, ever read Love Does um, or... Everybody always, yeah, like I mean, amazing author. And I mean, he's hilarious. Um, I got to speak at an event that he was speaking at, and I got to spend a few hours with him. And for those of you guys that don't know him, um, this is Bob, and he said this to me, how's your faith working for everyone around you? <laughs> it's like, he is so crazy and so fun, and then he drops stuff like this that makes you go, oh, search my soul, Bob, you know, like, wow. I mean, he is the type of guy where he will be just going off on just this beautiful story of God's love, and then he'll be over there, and he'll be like, did you see the color of that paint on the wall? And it's like, what? That's Bob. And his eyes look that in, like that in normal conversation. I'm not kidding. This is Bob. Right? And so he said this because we were talking about loving our neighbors. He was loving people all around us from different backgrounds and stuff like that. And this, was a, this wasn't at the event. This was just like we're just like getting driven from one place to another. And I'm sitting there in the car with Bob Goff. He's in the front seat. I'm in the back because, you know, he's famous. I'm not. And he um, says this in the car. I've never forgotten this. How's your faith working for everyone around you? And it's a question that I just want to frame the entire message around today as we begin to explore a message that is from Jesus. Now, before we do anything else, uh, Pastor Nathan talked about, you know, the book that I wrote, Neighborliness. Um, it's a mouthful, right? So let me define that for you. Just so that we level set, we know where we're at and what we're going to do. Uh, neighborliness is the behavior of Christians who seek to embody, you guys say that word, say embody. Embody the love 
understanding, curiosity, kindness, and care of Jesus. Now, I have a professor that is named Dr. Len Sweet that was a part of my doctoral program. I studied generational poverty and how the church can respond to generational poverty and bring the healing and hope of Jesus into communities through an area called holistic community development. So it's a lot of words. But my professor said to me um, something. He goes, David, um, do you want to know the difference between me and you? And I was like, besides the white, very long, white, white, white hair? And he's like, you're failing the class. And um, I basically said, yeah, just, you know, what's up? And he said, uh, well, I've written 70 books. And I was like, super flex from the professor, you know. And, uh, and he said, and, um, you know, I've written 70 books. And I was like, cool, what's up? And uh, he said, um, I don't agree with myself from 10 years ago. Think about that. It's one of the smartest people I know. Has written 70 books, right? People all over the world are studying his materials. He said, I don't agree with myself from 10 years ago. He said, the difference between me and you is people are still reading my stuff from 10, 20 years ago that I don't even agree with anymore, and they're still taking it as my opinion. And what he was trying to teach me is that people can change their mind, that even people who are experts in their field can change their mind on certain things. And I never forgot that. You see, he's somebody that has invested a spirit of courage and curiosity. And that is the phrase that I want to speak over this group right now. All right? I'm going to go back to it several times during this message. I didn't do it for a service. But it's a spirit of courage and a spirit of curiosity. That as you look at the world around you, what does it mean to embody the love and the understanding, the curiosity, care, the kindness of Jesus to the world around you? Well, I think first and foremost, we need some courage to ask some good questions and stay in those conversations long enough to really learn and grow, but we got to have that curiosity that keeps us asking questions. One of the behaviors of Jesus, and I, I'm going to do this multiple times. I don't have a tick. Um, I, there's something flying around my head right now, so I'm just going to seem like I'm very demonstrative, but I'm not, I am not focused enough to not address what's happening right now, so... Just let it be a part of our morning together, okay, because I'm just not going to deal well with this. It's been happening for three minutes, and I have to acknowledge it out loud, okay? And where was I, Nathan? What were we doing? Yeah, I have no idea either. Um, <clears throat> Got to go back to my notes here. Um, so what I believe that God has put on my heart for this church family is a spirit of courage and curiosity, right? That we begin to be more curious about what's happening in the world around us. We're going to look at the instinct of Jesus, and hopefully I'm going to pull out something that might maybe reframe for those of you guys that have heard a passage over and over and over again. There's some of you in the room who are just now exploring matters of faith. I want you to hear a story that is absolutely stunningly beautiful, um, a story of courage uh, from Jesus himself, and I just want to embody his love. One of the things that Dr. Sweet said to me, that forever changed the way that I view even my relationship with Jesus. Is he said, I don't want you to follow Jesus. And I was like, this man's a heretic. What? You know, I've learned that my whole life. We all use that language, right? And he said, no, no, no. He said, David, more, more. He said, I want you to embody his love. So to embody something means to take on the very characteristics it means to take on the love so that I show love to people around me in the same way that Jesus would. It means to take on courage and curiosity and kindness in the same way that Jesus would, that I'm not just emulating him, I'm embodying him so that the world can see Jesus in me and feel Jesus in me. 
Now, for those of you guys that maybe you've not quite crossed that line of faith yet, and you haven't given your heart over totally to Christ, what I hope is that this will be something that helps you to see Jesus in a whole new way, of his love and his goodness and his sweetness. There's a lot of people out there that are claiming the name of Jesus that are angered and divisive, violent, and that's not the Jesus I know, and that's not the Jesus that redeemed my heart. All right? So let's talk about Jesus for who he is. We're just going to look directly at his life. Mark 12, 28 says this. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to a debate. He realized that Jesus answered well, so he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, I highlighted most important because does anybody know how many laws there were that they had to follow during this time? It's a lot. You were in first service, okay, so you already know the answer, okay, so that's not fair. Uh, I'm just joking. I don't even know who said that. Um, there was about 612 um, commandments, and so what is your name right here? Yep, you're, you're stretching. Are you bored? <laughs> oh, I'm just joking, Kenzie. You're so sweet. Um, how old are you? You're nine years old? Wow, I thought you were at least nine and a half. Um, so we, <laughs> if you were growing up in this time, you would have been trained in the Jewish way, and you, if you were Jewish, and you would have been expected to memorize 612 ways that you should act. Yeah, she's looking at me really big, those beautiful brown eyes, like, no. <laughs> this is the way that the culture was oriented. This is the way that the culture was organized, is that sweet little Kenzie would, would have to be able to recite 612 laws. And people would have to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. And they, there was all of these things that people had to follow. And it was to prop up a, a form of righteousness or a, a way of living that was a religious, order, a religious order to life, right? And so it's really important because we're leaving this up there because it, what's happening here is much higher stakes than you might think. Not only was culture ordered around this, also the law was ordered around this. So if you look at the context of this passage... It actually says one of the teachers of religious law. Now, this man, I want you to look at the passage and just imagine that you're in this moment, okay? This man was a lawyer, an expert in religious law. Religious law ordered the day. So that meant if you were to break the law, do you want to know what the highest punishment might have been? Anybody have a guess? Yeah, all the way to death. And we see that in the life of who? I don't want to give a spoiler alert here, but Jesus died because of this stuff, Right? And rose again. That's an important part of the story, right? So it's just really important that we understand the context of this. And I want to actually, I think that we need to use our imagination more when we read the Bible. Like, we just allow ourselves to enter into the Bible and see the colors and the, the topography, the scenery. And so what was very common during this time, if you guys, you know, you guys can close your eyes as long as you don't fall asleep. Kenzie, all right? I'm just joking. I don't even know Kenzie. And she's like, I hate that guy. Um, um, no, I'm just, <laughs> we're going to lunch afterwards, so I'll redeem myself, all right? Um, but anyway, we um, have these moments where it was really common for uh, religious teachers to just walk from one town to another, and many times they would just stop right in between two mountains or like hills in the valley, and what we do is that would start to set up, and I want you guys to use your imagination because this is what's happening here, is that somebody would stop, they would start teaching, and then people would start to gather on the hillside. It created almost like a natural amphitheater for the voice to carry, right? So can you see it? You know, imagine the colors, imagine the scenery, imagine the temperature that day, whatever it may be, I don't know. But these are real people that got to experience the teaching of Jesus, which is absolutely stunning, like amazing. I wish I could see the love in his eyes physically. Um, and then all of a sudden, you have an expert who holds the power to kill him. 
that asks him a question publicly about his own teaching. Because it says that the teacher was listening to the debate, which meant that Jesus was talking to other people. He wasn't just teaching. He was actually debating matters of religion. And so the religious expert now comes to the table and says, okay, so out of everything that we orient our life around, out of all 612 commands, what's the most important? Now, I don't know if he was antagonistic. It sure seems like it, though, right? Like, sounds like a trap to me. I don't know if that was his motivation. He might have just been curious. But what I do know is that the stakes are much higher than I ever realized when I first started reading this passage. For those of us that have grown up in the faith, you've probably heard what I'm about to read to you countless times. For those of you who may be exploring matters of faith, welcome to one of the most beautiful, life-changing stories that represents the heart of Jesus better than anything I can imagine, right? So let's keep going to verse 29. This is what it says. Jesus replied, the most important command is this, and I just imagine like everybody like really leaning in like, yo, he's actually going to answer the question, right? Like if it was me, I would like change the subject. I'd be like Bob Goff and be like, look at the paint. And they're like, what's paint? Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, but then Jesus changes the subject. He goes, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Now, I used to read this in a way, um, I used to read the Bible like this. Cool, 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 don't understand it, so skip it and don't think about it. Oh, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> That's the way I used to read the Bible. Until I had to like, actually write on these things in my theological training, in my master's and doctorate, and I had skipped this forever because I was like, why is he going into a prayer like right away instead of answering the question? And then I just found an instinct of Jesus that I want to emulate every day of my life. Because what I realized is that we've already set the scene, like really, really high stakes here, right? If Jesus answers wrong, you know, he's being challenged in front of a bunch of people, and those people have the power to imprison or violently punish him or even kill him if they think that he's being a heretic. A heretic. And yet Jesus does this. He goes into a prayer that every person in the Jewish community, that sweet little Kenzie, if she was growing up as a Jewish little girl in that community, she would have prayed that morning. And so would everybody else that grew up in the Jewish community. It's called the Shema. It says, O Lord, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Um, What I love about this is Jesus connects relationally before he goes into the answer. And I think that sometimes in our culture, we're so quick to give the answer, we forget to connect with the person that is on the other side. If we're getting attacked, we forget to connect that there's a human being on the other side. Do you guys know, the, I, I actually found the location of the worst place on earth. Do you guys know where it's at? It's Facebook, right? <laughs> right? It's, it's the worst. I mean, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, come to get together with your friends and da-da-da-da. And then it's like, how do I have 2,700 friends that are really angry all the time, and why is that always coming to the top of my feed, these arguments about politics or religion or economics or whatever it may be? I mean, let's not even say the M word. I don't like saying the word anymore. You know, I mean, it's like there's so many opinions. That was a mask. I don't know if I've never done that before. Um, We just, there's so many opinions about everything, and people get so angry about this stuff. And so what I would say is I just want to be like Jesus now. Like, I want, to, I want to embody his love. I want to do what he did when I get into heated arguments. Is I want to see somebody as a person. I want to connect on a level and say, okay, I actually have a rule. 
that when people like say mean things about me online and that's what happens after you write a book and it starts to go all over the place is people are mean. Um, not everybody, but some people. Um, I don't respond for an hour to the mean stuff, to the angry stuff, to the vitriolic stuff, the stuff that's just trying to poke me and make me angry or insult me. Because I think that Jesus would be patient. I think that Jesus would look at the person and say, you know what, I bet this stranger who's lashing out at me probably doesn't hate me. There's something going on. And I think that's the instinct of Jesus, is to connect on a relational level first, to see somebody else and to connect and bring them in. And what he would have done with this is to really just set the tone of like, you prayed this prayer this morning, I prayed this prayer this morning. And let's remember, the Lord our God is one, right? Let's remember, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And then he goes into his answer. But first, he's connecting, right? Jesus then replied in verse 30 here. It says, you must love the Lord with how much of your heart? All right, I'm going to do this four times, okay? Uh, How much of your soul? And how much of your mind? You guys are three for three. This is incredible. How much of your strength? Is it because I highlighted it? It is, right? <laughs> you know, like, um, and I actually think that this is impossible. Uh, there's, there's a verse in, um, you know, uh, the Bible chapter, whatever, where Jesus is talking about um, one of his expectations of us. And, um, and he says this. He says, be perfect. Cool. <laughs> good, good idea. Be perfect. I can't do that. And Jesus knows that. And he also knows that I'm too distracted to love him with all my heart all the time. With all my soul, I have a hard time trusting him sometimes. And with all my mind, I get, man, I can just get wander off in my mind and my thoughts and my anxiety or fear or whatever it might be. All my strength, man, that is up and down. You know, so Jesus knows that when he's telling us to be perfect, the only way for us to be perfect is to have a relationship with Jesus who is perfect. That when we accept him as our savior, that we are not going into the perfection of our own, but we are going into the perfection of the one that saved and rescued us. Right? And so we can live in this world and show up in this community as somebody who is whole and healed in Jesus. Right? There's, a, there's a term, and I'm going to go back. We're, we're totally freestyling, bro, in the back. So I, I, I love you. You're doing a great job. Um, let's go back to that already and not yet slide. So this is a, um, a slide in the back. It wasn't you, was it? It was you. I, I said that to the sound man. He's like, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm learning your positions. I'm sorry. I can't. You know. Uh, already and not yet. This is a, a term from a the, theologians that talk about what we experience every single day that we wake up, is that we can already experience the goodness and sweetness of Jesus right now. Uh, I'm going to experience this when I'm hanging with Nathan and his family at lunch, and we're talking about some memories, we're talking about some future stuff, we're talking about the joy of fatherhood, the joy of knowing Jesus. I experience the already of oneness but all I have to do is like flip on my phone and the notifi- notifications start rolling in. And there's war and there's hurting and there's pain. There's division all around Franklin, all around the, Nash- the greater Nashville area. There's, there's pain, there's heartache. That's the not yet. And so this is what we live in every day, is the already and the not yet. And what I want us to do is I want us to orient our lives around seeking those places where we can bring the already, the joy and the presence of Jesus to this community. You see, one of the reasons I love this church is because of this vision statement. This represents the heart of your pastor so well. 
I was looking through your website before I came here and talking to Nathan on the phone, getting a heart, getting the heart and the vibe of this church. This really stuck out to me, following Jesus, loving our neighbor, but what's the purpose of it? Yeah. You see, there's a purpose that we're on this earth. Yes, we want to love Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to pursue him with everything that we've got. We want to chase after the goodness of God, right? And we want to love our neighbor. And I was actually really excited about that because I wrote a book with neighborliness. It's right there in the title of your, you know, your vision statement there. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to get along with these guys really well because the vision statement obviously is really smart, you know. <laughs> but it's also really important that you guys understand it's for the good of the city. And here's where my heart really started to turn, like during the first service and then talking with people afterwards, talking with Pastor Nathan. Um, all of you guys may not know this, but you have a significant property. Most of you do. A significant property that is prayerfully being considered the way that you guys are going to develop it. And I believe that God is going to creatively help you guys think outside the box. How does a church property show up in a community that's for the benefit of all the neighbors, not just the church members? How does a, y'all are going to get me preaching in a moment. This is what I get to do all over the country is I get to talk to people about developing strategies for reaching communities, right? And so what does it look like for you to have a property that's proverbially on the corner of Maine and Maine, right by a brand new art center, performing arts center, or whatever that is, that big amphitheater thing you were talking about, right by amazing road frontage, all of that stuff, in one of the most beautiful areas of the country. I mean, Franklin needs PR because I did not know. This is so beautiful here, right? But God has given you guys a gift, and he has called you to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And he's called this church family to show up in the community in a way that because of your love for Jesus and because of your love for neighbor, that you will be there for the good of what? Of your city. And there is a way to embody the presence of Jesus that means something for Oscar. And brother, I'm telling you, the Lord has put some stuff on my heart for you. That Oscar is here, and he's working with the youth. But he told me about developing this Hispanic um, church, starting with a Hispanic outreach. What does the good news of the gospel mean? In a community like this that might be predominantly white, and we just have to call it like we see it, right? Like we, we show up in communities, there's nothing we can do about it, but what does it mean when Oscar starts to bring people into this church that look different? What does the good of the city mean when somebody who is different comes into the room from a different economic class? What is the good and the great news of this gospel message that has transformed our hearts? Do people feel it or do they feel different and other? You see, the thing is, is that if Jesus said that the most important command, and I need you guys to get this this morning, if Jesus said that the most important thing, and he said it super publicly, was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then right there in the middle of all of these people, he includes love your neighbor as yourself. If Jesus said that's the most important thing, what do you think the most strategic plan of the enemy, Satan, our adversary, would be? You think he's just going to try and get people to not be generous? Well, yeah, he's doing that. You think he's going to try and throw people, do stuff with lust and temptation? Yeah, he's going to do that too, right? But his primary plan is going to be to go after the thing that Jesus said was most important. So the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he's going to try and distract you from loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All you have to do, you can do it in five seconds. Think about the last time that you were distracted away from the beauty of God. 
today, right? Me too, right? Think about the last time that you were distracted from loving him with every part of your heart, every part of your soul, whatever it might be. Every day you have an adversary that is coming at the very thing that is most important. And so I asked myself this question like five years ago. Our church was right on the dividing line between the rich and the poor. We had renovated this facility where we had 40,000 square feet, seven nonprofits, 100 kids every day after school. We built a community center for the neighborhood. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if we're great at the greatest commandment. It was super convicting. I thought that we, I almost fell off the stage right then. I was like trying to do like an emotional like, like lean thing unintentionally, and I almost fell. Um, I'm going to come back here. It's safer. <laughs> um, I, remember, I remember thinking to myself that, oh, man, why do I always call myself out? Okay, so I just remember thinking that we were pretty good at putting together services that represented the front half of the greatest commandment, that we were going to orient discipleship around loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And all of a sudden I realized I don't have any framework for what it means to love my neighbors that are different than me. I've never been taught how to have that courage to stay in relationship when it gets uncomfortable. I'm not teaching our church to stay in relationships long enough when it gets uncomfortable with people from different backgrounds. And I certainly had not developed the curiosity for me to ask questions. And so I keep on thinking about the vision that Pastor Nathan has, and the presence of Pastor Oscar in this place, and the way that the future of this church is for the entire city. It's for everybody. And you've been given a gift, a gift to steward that is not your own, a gift that the Bible says that you will harvest fields that you did not plant, and you are living out. Guys, I have chills running through my entire body right now. I need you to hear this. You will harvest fields that you didn't plant. There's somebody else that bought that land. There's somebody else that prayed over that and sacrificed. And there's grandmas and grandpas who have run their race that are now in heaven that paid for that land. And there's people that poured prayer into that. And yet here we sit at Graceland Church Franklin with this incredible opportunity to use prophetic imagination about what that property can be used for. You think it's a coincidence that Pastor Nathan and his family left L.A. to come here? You think that God didn't know that one of the most creative couples that I've ever met in my entire life, that's true, I'm complimenting you publicly, um, has been given this gift to steward? One of the things that Pastor Nathan said to me when I came in this morning was, um, I just want it to be for the neighbors. Like, I want this property in Graceland Church to be for our neighbors. And so then let's reverse engineer that. Let's be honest with ourselves. And I don't know the answer to this. I don't even know you, okay? But have we developed the language of neighborliness? Not my book, but the spirit of neighborliness that Jesus compels us to. To look at the other as beautiful. To look at the other as ultimately, amazingly, stunningly worthy of our attention. The poor, the marginalized, those that have been cast aside and looked over for generations. I've taught my kids. We actually just did this yesterday. Something that they, they you know, that's every once in a while they're like, okay, dad, I get it. You know, uh, you know, but I always say you never have to be in a silent, awkward conversation 
Because there's one thing that people love talking about the most. Anybody have a guess what that might be? <laughs> wow, you do get it, right? Like, themselves. And so I teach my kids, if you show up and you don't think that you have anything in common with anybody in the room, start asking them their favorite color. Start asking them their favorite sports team. If they don't like sports, just keep on going. And I love, my son Ben, ben does this really, really, really well. He actually did this on a drive the other day with one of my friends. Um, we were going to do a service project at the organization that we have in Charlotte. And Ben probably asked seven questions in a row until they got to soccer. And they connected on soccer and they talked the rest of the way. So good job, Ben. Everybody give it up for Ben, right? But here's why this is so important. And I have no idea what time I started or what time I'm supposed to be ending. So I started, am I, am I already done? <laughs> Okay, soonish. All right. <laughs> I, forgot to, I forgot, forgot to look. Okay. Um, um, but what happens is we open doors of evangelism when we open doors of curiosity and kindness and goodness and sweetness and care and beauty. And when somebody feels like you're interested in them, it doesn't matter what the color of their skin is or their economic state. You have connected with somebody on a soul level. That's the spirit of neighborliness. And that's the model of Jesus, right? So I actually think that this passage is one of the most sad in the whole wide world, because it actually ends, so it goes through this whole thing, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, there's a conversation between Jesus and the lawyer, let's throw up verse 34, and this is what it says, in verse 34, Jesus looks back at this man and says, realizing how much this man understood, he was very smart, he was a lawyer, Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God, and I actually think that's really funny, it says, after that, no one dared ask him any questions, it's like, uh, that guy's got it, you know, like, I'm not saying anything to him, um, but man, that's sad, and here's, here's what I want to say about that, you can hear this message, and it can resonate in your head, and you can conceptually get it, but you can get it up here, and never get it in your heart, right, this man missed the fullness of the kingdom of God in this moment, because he wasn't willing, well, I don't know what it was, maybe he was unwilling to lay down his position or pride. I don't know what it was. So let me, let me end with this. Um, and uh, I took Ben, um, Mr. Yellow Shirt down there, on a trip recently. And I had never been on a plane before. And so I've um, got a picture of us here. And uh, Ben was so excited. We were driving, and uh, he looked up at the birds when we were on the way over. And you guys have to understand, I fly, like, constantly, like, like countless flights um, over the last however many years. So it's, it's like autopilot to me. Like, I just go through the motions, sit down, and I end up in another state. Well, Ben had never flown before, so he's looking at the birds, and he goes, Daddy, we're going to be above those birds. And I said, Buddy, we're going to be above those clouds. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you know? And so we walk down the jetway here. We get on the plane. He starts looking around. He's like asking questions about what's on the plane. And he looks up and he's like, Daddy, what are those little cutouts up there? What are those boxes? And just like super matter-of-factly, this is not like the most traumatic moment in the whole wide world, I said to him, oh, yeah, yeah, if the plane is an emergency and there's, you know, it's starting to lose cabin pressure, the, the oxygen mask is going to fall and then you're just going to you know, put it on and it'll help you breathe. And he's like, why won't I be able to breathe? And I'm just continuing going. I'm like, well, because, you know, the, the air is, you know, kind of leaving that. And I'm trying to, like, do science and I don't do that. And I was like, I don't know, just put it on, make sure you put it on nice and tight. And, um, and he's like, is this going to happen to us? And I was like, actually, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know? And I was like, I can't lie to you. I don't know. I don't know if we're, I've never needed it before. And he's like, so you're 42, Dad. So like, you've never needed this. I'm like, I've never needed this before. He's like, so it's not going to happen. I was like, I can't lie. I don't know if it's going to happen. And he's like, why did you do this to me? You know, like, 
But then the, the flight attendant saved the day. Because she started talking and going through the motions and all that stuff. And she said something that um, got us going on a whole other line of, of thinking. And I started to think about you guys. I didn't know you back then, but I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. And I say, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. And I start mentioning cities all over the world. As it is in heaven. And you're being my prayers. That the kingdom of God will be established in Franklin as it is in heaven. Because this is what the flight attendant said. She was just like spitting straight fire. Like she was like amazing. She goes, in case of an emergency, put the mask on yourself before you put the mask on your neighbor. Help yourself before you help your neighbor. And it reminded me of this. As we look at cultural issues, as we look at what God's call is for us to embody the presence of Jesus, I think of this, and I'm going to close out and hand it back to Pastor Nathan here. Is Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And it's the psalmist David, and he's praying this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. You see, I do believe that God has called this church to be a city on a hill. Easy to see. Lots of visibility. But I also believe that if you ever want to help the community, we have to look inward first. It's the biblical model of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength first. And love your neighbor as a natural expression of that. But we can't love our neighbor unless we seek to understand our neighbor. That's one of the things that Dara said to me when I was writing my book. She said, I agree with everything that you said except for this one part. She said, you said that you need to understand your neighbor in order to love them. I said, yeah, that's brilliant, right? She's like, no. I was like, that's not nice. So she looks back at me and she said, babe, I've known you for 18 years and I don't understand you and I love you with all my heart. I was like, that's a really good point. And she said, love from me to you is found when I seek to understand you. I continue to try to understand you. And I was like, whatever. And then I went and like went into my office and I changed my book. You know, like our love for each other, our love for our neighbor across dividing lines. The beautiful thing that is going to happen through your ministry, Oscar, is going to be because there's a whole group of people that are curious, and kind, and loving. You see that 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 flows through this church. And differences aren't bad. Differences can be illuminating lights for us. And my exhortation to you is you are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You embody the presence of Jesus for this community. And you watch what happens when you start show up at the prayer meetings that Nathan's going to call when you start developing a property. Start imagining the way a church can be for the city and not just to get people in the seats, but to be enjoyed seven days a week. And I'm just telling you guys, the spirit of neighborliness is present in this place. And I encourage you, keep moving forward. And allow the Lord to search your heart, hands open, palms to the sky. All right? You want to come on up? Uh, as Nathan is coming, uh, maybe we could do that again. Can we do this again? Just open up our hands just like this. Maybe we could stand together again. Sometimes changing position helps you to 
physically say, yeah, this is, this is good. Come on up here, brother. Um, come on up, babe. Um, Lord, I just want to pray over this church family with my brother right here yes. alongside me. Um, hands open, palms to this guy. Lord, that we would just give back to you any thoughts, perspectives, any anxiety, anything that was passed down from us from generations before us that didn't represent the beauty of God, um, any anxiety or fear about the world around us. Um, we give that back to you, and we remain in a posture to open up our hands and say, Lord, give us what's from you. If you guys could extend your hands towards your pastor. Uh, Lord, we pray over Pastor Nathan and Jessica and the sweet family. Cover and protect their steps. Uh, even the instinct to bring Oscar along, the vision for the future. Um, this is not two separate ministries. This is one family. And so, Lord, we pray, God, that there would be something that is birthed in the heart of Pastor Nathan in this day and the days to come. Uh, Lord, the entire congregation, we just pray, God, you guys go ahead and pray. Just pray. Pray for your pastor. Wisdom, protection, peace, creativity, anointing to show up in Franklin for Franklin. To create things for Franklin that Franklin enjoys even if they don't enjoy church. Like the email I got yesterday from somebody who read my book that said, I believe in God, but man, I question the church. Well, that comes from somewhere. So how do we create spaces? get people around the beauty of God, maybe if it doesn't look like church. So God, just give creativity, wisdom, direction, and I pray a blessing over this church family. Uh, what a joy to be here, and um, I pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you. I encourage you to meet uh, David and his family out there. Um, grab a book. It's, it's an awesome book. I've read it a couple times. Let me pray this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Oh, and grab like 10 beef sticks. Love you. <laughs>